Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Gator Sports Podcast with your host, Zach Albuverde. Coming in hot. And Graham Hall. Jumping, coming smooth. Jumping, and the bass gets jumping. Brought to you by the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com. Welcome into the Gator Sports Podcast presented by the Gainesville Sun. I'm your host, Zach Albaverde, joined to my right by my co-host, Graham Hall, and it is Florida-Kentucky week. Time to preview Saturday night's matchup between the Gators and the Wildcats. The Gators trying to keep their winning streak going in Lexington, have not lost since 1986, although the last two trips have come down to the wire. And I think that there's a chance for Saturday night's game to play out the same way. Graham, we'll get into it today and our expectations. But first of all, how's it going? How's your week been? It's been a long one. I got to be honest. Yeah, it's been basketball media week. Been basketball media, a lot of other stuff that we're going to talk about here in a second, certainly. But Florida preparing for their first true road test. No disrespect to USF, but the Florida fans were a sizable contingent for that game. Now the Gators go on the road for really the first time against a undefeated Wildcats team. I mean, this is a big one, even though you're coming off of a game two weeks ago against the number one team in the country, and then last week against your SEC Eastern rival. This is another one, once again, for the Gators. They cannot let their guard down, Zach. Absolutely, and we're going to be joined by John Hale from the Courier-Journal to get some perspective on the Wildcats and preview this matchup. Graham and I will give you our X-Factors in the final segment for Saturday night's game. But before we get into that, Graham and I would be remiss if we did not mention the report and investigative story from the Alligator detailing some of the abuse uh, that took place under former women's basketball coach Cam Neubauer. Terrific job by Zachary Huber on his report and just all the work that he put in. So we wanted to uh, give him a shout out here to start the show because that was very important work. And I know no matter the sport, no one at UF deserves to go through something like that. And this is something that the school and everyone here in the administration is going to have to reckon with. Yeah, it's an ongoing situation. So still some things to unfold here, but we encourage everyone to go out there and read that story because, like we said, a tremendous job. The University of Florida still has some questions to answer. So terrific job by Zach Huber. Encourage everyone to read that story at the Alligator. Absolutely, Graham. Now, as we get into this matchup between the Gators and the Wildcats, certainly uh, Florida has dominated this series, winning 33 of the last 34 matchups, 16 straight road wins, and then obviously the Gators dominated last year in the swamp but as I mentioned at the start of the show I mean their last two trips to Lexington Freddie Swain uh, doesn't get covered in the end zone for the Gators to pull that out late and then the Kyle Trask coming out party in 2019 as he scores 19 unanswered points to lead the Gators to a come from behind victory and I, I think you know in this game certainly we're looking to probably see two quarterbacks from the Gators not in that type of scenario but as a plan rotation with Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson who by all accounts is 100% ready to go no MRIs needed this week and now you add him to this Florida offense 
with the confidence that Emory Jones has been able to gain the past two weeks. And I think the Gators got to be feeling good about this game going into it along with the rushing attack. After what they've seen out of Emory Jones since the USF game, the last three quarters against Alabama, I thought he looked tremendous at times. And if I'm Dan Mullen, I would be kind of gloating by now because it's everything he really has said. He said in the spring, we're going to run a two-quarterback system. We don't really have a starting quarterback. And then you hear him say that Emory Jones is more comfortable running the offense. And he also says, we haven't seen the offense fully. Well, we've seen the offense the last two weeks. And Emory Jones, I think, has assuaged any fears that he is not a capable quarterback for the Gators under center. Now the Gators get another guy back. And what do you want to call it? Narrative? Controversy? It's over now. It's kind of, it's, if it was ever there to begin with, it was kind of created by external factors. Fan expectations the media, the traditional belief that you can't have two quarterbacks. It doesn't work as well as a potent one-quarterback system really would. The Gators, I think, have proved a lot of people wrong in the first third of the season, and now you have a chance to see something that we haven't yet. What does Anthony Richardson look like in the confines of Florida's offense? And in an SEC matchup. Yeah, that's a huge thing because there are some people out there, and I talked with some guys this week who are as high on Anthony Richardson as as you really can be. But that doesn't change the fact that he hasn't proven everything. He hasn't faced an SEC defense. That's not really a knock on him. And this is a top 10 defense. It's a fact. And if he can go out there and replicate what he did the first two weeks, have the high amount of dynamic plays with a low snap count, if he can do that against SEC defenses, you're going to see that respect for him nationally and probably in Gainesville escalate even further so this is a huge test for not just the Gators but for Anthony Richardson in my mind yeah and obviously another injury that we're monitoring is that to Kyer Elam which we'll kind of get into in the last segment but for this defense I think you know regardless of of where he's at if he's able to go or not they showed something in the second half against Tennessee and now they need to build on it and to be able to pitch a second half shutout and just kind of get the type of pressure that they're looking to get as a front seven obviously need to clean some things up in the secondary and there's a lot of youth there but this is a team in Kentucky that is going to look to throw the ball and a lot of the other matchups that they've had going up against an offense defensively I mean, they're getting out quick passes. We saw that from Tennessee. They're not trying to let their quarterback sit in the pocket and give Zach Carter and some of these other front seven defenders time to get after the quarterback. I think Kentucky will maybe look to do that a little bit more with Levis. So this is going to be an opportunity potentially for Carter, Moon, and those guys to get after the quarterback and maybe get more time to rush the passer than they have in their last few games. You would think that coming into this game, Kentucky is going to look for a fast start People love to call that a scripted drive. And I know that recently in Gainesville, there's a little bit of anxiety over scripted drives, not only in the past from Florida's offense, but now I think from the defense. You can make an argument the way that the Gators have started defensively this season, especially the last two games, has, I think, a little bit bit slow. I think that's a fair term to use. And maybe a little more kind one even would be feeling them out Because look at how they've adjusted in the second half after trailing early in the first half to both Alabama and Tennessee against the Crimson Tide. They allowed just, what, 82 yards in the second half? And then you mentioned shutting out Tennessee there 
in the second half. So I'll be interested to see if people still panic on Saturday if Kentucky does what I just said, comes out firing on all cylinders from the jump, gets an early lead, and then Florida's defense settles down, makes some necessary halftime adjustments. I could easily see that playing out because you look at the last two games, that is the way things have played out defensively for the Gators. But those extreme highs that you've seen in the second half of the SEC game should give you, I think, a lot of early confidence that even if you get hit in the mouth early, we got the firepower. If you're one of those defensive players for the Gators, we got the firepower to recover. And not only that, but you've seen it several times in recent history against this Kentucky team. I know that we talk about that last win, the 19-point unanswered comeback by Kyle Trask as the start of the Kyle Trask era here in Gainesville. But up there in Lexington, I'm sure they look at it as a missed opportunity to further legitimize themselves. So it's a huge game, I think, for both teams. And John Hale's going to talk about that here in this next segment. But one thing that Graham and I aren't going to mention among our X factors, but probably definitely actually is one for this game, is Florida dealing with an SEC road environment. And the first time that they've been in a sold-out away stadium with not a ton of Gator fans like what they got at USF. I mean, this is the first time since 2019 for many of these players. And then for guys that have joined the team in the last two seasons, this is their first time ever in this type of environment. So it is going to be a bit of a challenge and something that Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson uh, are both going to have to show that they can handle. And they've been doing all type of stuff in practice this week to get ready for it. But I mean, Graham, we'll give our prediction at the end, but I'm really expecting this to be a close game. I'm not saying Florida's not capable, certainly, of running away with it, but I just I think Kentucky has been playing really well defensively. They're more capable as a passing offense, and they're at home with their sold-out crowd, and they're getting the Gators at least at a time in their schedule where they haven't really prepared or faced something like this yet. It sounds like it's a confident Kentucky team, which should really, I think, scare Florida a lot. In years past, you can make the case this game was up there with the Louisville one in a sense that it was kind of their Super Bowl. They had to break the streak. It would really change, I think, how the program was discussed in the confines of SEC East football. I mean, it's one of the defining moments in Mark Stoops' tenure, for sure. Absolutely. And you look at what that game can do for the program moving forward, I think it absolutely can ascend them into the conversation of being one of those I guess like dark horse would be the type of the term I would use, but they should be in the discussion as a team that surprised, I think, more than they really have been because you look at that Citrus Bowl game from a few years ago. They have finished top 15 nationally more than I think a lot of people have realized, and that's a huge credit to Stoops. Absolutely. We're going to catch this first break when we come back on the other side. We're going to get some more perspective on Stoops and his program from John Hale of the Courier Journal. We'll be right back after this break. This is Gainesville Sun Sports Editor Arnold Feliciano. Please support our coverage of University of Florida Athletics by subscribing to the Gainesville Sun or Gatorsports.com. It's easy. Just go to www.gainesville.com slash subscribe now. Thank you for your support. I'm Blake Topmeyer, and this is SEC Football Unfiltered, a new podcast from the USA Today Network. Each week, we'll discuss the hottest topics that matter to the passionate fan bases of the SEC. 
I've covered the SEC for eight years. As for my co-host, longtime sports columnist John Adams, let's just say he's got a few decades on me. Not as many decades as some people think. Contrary to popular opinion, I did not cover General Neyland, but I did interview Bear Bryant, and I interviewed Nick Saban, and I covered Archie Manning and Peyton Manning. More insightful interview, John. Bear Bryant, Archie Manning, Steve Spurrier, or Johnny Majors? Gotta go with Steve Spurrier there. He's the great quipster. SEC Football Unfiltered debuts this summer. Let John and I be your tour guides from the season opener through the national championship. Subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back into the Gator Sports Pod. Zach and Graham here, and we are now joined by John Hale from the Courier Journal, who covers the Kentucky Wildcats, here to give us some preview of Mark Stoops' team and what to expect from them on Saturday night. John, appreciate you joining us. How's it going? It's good. How are you guys? We're doing well, man. Can't complain. Getting ready for uh, Florida's first uh, true road trip of the season. I mean, they played at USF in week two, but that was a a pro Gator crowd in Tampa, as you could expect. This is going to be something totally different. Sold out Kroger Field. I'm sure Kentucky fans are looking forward to this. Um, First of all, what's the buzz been like in, in Lexington leading up to this game? Yeah, it's been high. I mean, it's interesting. Kentucky went through that same experience last week going to South Carolina where they had, you know, 70,000 plus close to a capacity crowd. First time they'd been in that kind of environment since, you know, pretty much the middle of the 2019 season. So I think that is interesting to see the other side of it. Um, Their atmosphere against Missouri in the second week was pretty good, but there were still, you know, 10 or 15,000 empty seats there. So this is their first sold out game. Uh, first really marquee game at home since they played Georgia for the SEC East probably in 2018. It's certainly the biggest game since then. So there's a lot of excitement. Um, I think Kentucky fans are still trying to figure out this team and, and what to expect from them, just how good they are despite their 4-0 record. Uh, and I think they know that, you know, starting with Saturday, but uh, over the next three weeks against Florida, LSU, and Georgia, they're going to find out pretty quick. Now, you mentioned figuring out how good they are. At least at this point, they look really good on defense. A top 10 unit nationally, second best in the SEC. Uh, So far through four games, what have you seen from that side of the ball and what Stoops and and kind of that defensive staff have been able to get from them production-wise? Yeah, it's interesting. The narrative about the defense changed pretty dramatically over the course of a week because I think coming off the Missouri and the Chattanooga games, there was a little bit of frustration uh, in terms of both those teams were able to move the ball a little bit with an offense that just kind of you know dinked and dunked down the field. Uh, Kentucky's been really good for years now about not giving up huge plays on defense very often, but some of that is just because of their philosophy. Maybe they're a little more conservative. They don't get overly aggressive. And that leads teams occasionally to you know get, be able to get some yardage, even if they're not necessarily putting up huge point totals. But when you looked at the end of those two games, the numbers were still pretty good. And the defense, uh, when it mattered in the fourth quarter of both of those games, went out and made stops that basically clinched the win. Well, then you go to last week against South Carolina. The offense turns the ball over three times. The defense doesn't give up any points on, uh, off of any of those turnovers. They had they lost two fumbles in the second half, one late in the third quarter, one early in the fourth quarter, and the defense immediately responded uh, with two fourth down stops uh, you know, on the next drive. So I think it says a lot about their kind of veteran leadership on that unit. They lost a bunch of guys uh, for in the NFL draft picks from that side of the ball. And Kentucky usually isn't a program that can replace that kind of uh, you know, talent exodus, 
but they've gotten to a point with their recruiting and their development where they had a bunch of veteran guys to plug in those holes. And honestly, several of them were you know higher ranked recruits than the guys they were replacing. So I think that speaks a lot to what you know Mark Stoops and their defensive coordinator, Brad White, have been able to do on that side of the ball over the last four or five years. But it's a group with a lot of experience and you know a fair amount of talent, too. We're talking with John Hale of the Courier, Courier Journal. John, looking at the other side of the ball, I know that transfers are all the rage right now in college football, and it's still pretty early. But what do the Wildcats have there at quarterback and Will Levies? Yeah, it's – I mean, if you want to talk about Kentucky being a legitimate contender in the East this year, if it turns out they are, it's because they went and, you know, won the transfer portal market, I guess, in the offseason. They went and added – uh, Will Levis, the quarterback from Penn State. They had Wandale Robinson, the wide receiver from Nebraska, who uh, is from locally in Frankfurt, uh, was committed to Kentucky briefly in high school, then flipped back to Nebraska. They added Dare Rosenthal, their starting left tackle from LSU. On the defensive side of the ball, they added Jack West Jones, their starting middle linebacker from Ole Miss. So without those guys, there's no way that Kentucky would be uh, in the position they are now. But, you know, it starts on offense with Levis, who's – a quarterback that was kind of pigeonholed into a run first guy um, at at Penn State, and he wanted to go out and find an offensive staff that believed in his arm talent. I mean, he's got as strong an arm as you'll ever see from a quarterback. The question was always accuracy, especially on maybe some of the mid-range and shorter throws um, when he got here. But, you know, Liam Cohen, the new offensive coordinator who came to Kentucky from the Rams, has installed basically the same offense that Sean McVay runs with the Rams recruited Levis a little bit in high school when he was the coordinator at Maine. Uh, Levis is from Connecticut. Obviously, he ended up being a much better player than was going to go to an FCS school, but they had a, a brief connection there. And, and when he went to the transfer portal, I think Cohen pretty quickly zeroed in and hit on him as a guy who could could bring what they want to the offense. And when the offense works well, it's uh, you know still going to run the ball a lot, not nearly as much as Kentucky did the last three or four years, but that's their identity. And then the pass game is built off the play action a lot, and they want to take shots down the field. And that's what Levis is really good at. He can make plays with his legs, and he's really accurate on his deep balls. The intermediate stuff, I think, is still a question. Um, he's thrown five interceptions, some of you know, most of those on intermediate routes that you know a couple were bad decisions, a couple were he threw it, he just throws so hard, and it was a little bit behind the receiver, two actually bounced off the hands of a receiver into the arms of a defender. So I think he's still a work in progress. Maybe after that first game, people were thinking, oh wow, he's an NFL draft pick kind of guy. I think they've come back to earth since then, but he <laughs> has the talent to to help them, you know, win games and get the job done. Certainly better than any anything they've had at the quarterback from a, a passing perspective, you know, since Stoops got here. Absolutely. Now, now obviously since Stoops uh, got to Kentucky, he's uh, given Ford a run for their money, man. Obviously got the win in 2018, has had really uh, several other close matchups against the Gators. Uh, I think specifically the last two trips that the Gators have had to Lexington, both really came down to the wire. Both Kentucky had those games basically won. Um before we get into Saturday night's matchup, like, like what do you feel like was the fallout from those last two games and, and just Kentucky being so close to get a win like that at home or over Florida and just coming up short the last two times? Yeah, it's kind of that, you know, double-edged coin. I mean, it, or sword, whatever you want to say. Uh, it's a situation where 
I think it gives them confidence that they've played Florida so close, you know, other than last year that they can go out and hang with that team. But also there has to be an element of frustration at some point when you are so close over and over and over again, and you just have one win to show for it. I mean, one win for Kentucky against Florida is not anything to, you know, to sniff at given the history of the series over the last 35 years, but still they feel like they should have two or three more wins. I mean, even dating all the way back to what, 2014, Stoops second year here. Yep. They were not very good, and they should have won a game in double overtime in Gainesville. Uh, you know, they still stoops on Monday, brought it up again. The, you know, controversial no call on, on what they thought was a delay of game there that might have clinched the win for them. So he still feels it. Uh, I know the players feel it. Uh, last year's game, you know, was not great for them. It was right at the the probably the low point of the season in terms of they had a little bit of a COVID outbreak. They were missing a bunch of key guys. They had just got embarrassed against Alabama the week before. And while the score was not as bad as the Alabama game, it, I don't think anybody who watches that thought that Kentucky was ever in it at basically any moment after kickoff. So I think they they want to reestablish themselves, and they're looking at it and saying, you know, we've played this team close. Uh, we think we're a really good team. You know, they think they're obviously a legitimate 4-0, even if some of us outside have questions about the quality of competition and everything else. This is a measuring stick game for them to go out and prove that, you know, if they want that kind of hype, if they want to be a legit top 20 team, you know, they got to start winning games like this. You mentioned them being a top 20 team if they want to win games like this. And you also mentioned Will being the best quarterback that Stoops has landed from a passing standpoint. Really, my next question is, what are your thoughts on what he's done for that program over the last decade, leading the charge for renovations? And what do you think he has to do really, not just from a recruiting standpoint, but on the field to kind of get Kentucky over that hump there and get, take him to the next level? Yeah, it's interesting. They obviously have gotten to this point where they can count on going to bowl games every year. It's, it's a similar spot to where Rich Brooks had the program, what, 12, 13 years ago now. You know, they were a six-win, seven-win team every year. That was the baseline. And the question was, well, can you take that next step to where every two or three years you can contend for the East or you can get to a you know January 1st bowl game? Brooks was never able to do that. He retired. Joker Phillips took over and, and the program went in the tank. Well, Stoops came in. He got you know fans excited. They got a massive stadium renovation. They built a state-of-the-art practice facility. Uh, they did all these things off the field. They increased their recruiting. They really started going into Ohio and getting the second tier uh, kids in Ohio that aren't going to Ohio state, maybe would have gone to Michigan state or Michigan or, you know, one of those schools before they started getting a lot of those guys to Kentucky and it helped them build this program to a point where, you know, now they've hit that baseline and they proved in 2018 that it's, you know, not out of the realm of possibility to have a, a 10 win kind of season. Uh, they've done that once. This feels like their chance to do it again, especially with how the schedule is built up, but the next step is being an actual contender in these, not being you know the best of the rest after Georgia and Florida. Uh, and to do that, you have to occasionally beat Georgia and Florida. They've done it against Florida once. They haven't done it against Georgia at all in Soup's tenure. To do that, I think that you know it starts with the offense, uh, what he went and did in the offseason and, and blowing it up and bringing in Liam Cohen and trying to become more balanced than they've been the last five years. But to do that, they've got to get good players. They went out and did it in the in the transfer portal this year and getting Levis and, and Wondell Robinson. But I don't know that that's sustainable long term to get the kind of skill position offensive recruits they need to take that next step. They had to go out and prove that they were willing to throw the ball. And so that's why this season is so important, I think, for the future of the program in general. Uh, but, you know, not just this year in terms of what they're going to do on the field. 
talking about right now, you talk about them taking that leap, that next step. Right now, though, this team is undefeated and still unranked. Do you get the sense from this Wildcats team that they feel a little bit uh, disrespected heading into this matchup? I think there's definitely some of that. Uh, we talked to one of their tight ends, Brendan Bates, on Tuesday, and he brought up that point. You know, essentially they have to go out and prove it and, and uh, you know, show to these, especially the AP voters, that they're worthy of a top 25. The coaches actually snuck them in at 23rd this week. But assuming that, you know, they know, I think that it's – uh, it's a prove it or, you know, it's basically a shut up and show it kind of thing. I thought it was really interesting this summer at SEC media days, basically every year since Stoops has been here, I could go and write the story ahead of time. It was always, we're not getting enough respect. You know, it's whether it's South Carolina or Missouri or somebody else is this kind of buzz team in the East. that's going to be a dark horse. It was never Kentucky and nobody ever believed that what they were doing was legitimate. And they just always use that chip on their shoulder uh, as motivational offseason. Well, we went there to Birmingham in, in July and there was just none of that talk. And I thought that was an interesting kind of uh, example of where the program has progressed and maybe they're beyond using the chip on their shoulder and they know they just have to go out there and if they win games, people will, you know, res- will respect them. In terms of this week in particular, uh, I think some of the buzz in, ter- uh, in the disrespect factor went down after they you know, didn't play very well against Chattanooga and still won that game. The offense obviously struggled last week against, um, against South Carolina. They know that they can't have a minus nine turnover margin for the entire season and expect to win any of the next three games. So I think that they realize you know, deep down that there are questions, legitimate questions that they have to answer uh, before they can make that case that they're one of those teams. And then final question for you, John, heading into Saturday night's matchup, how do you see this playing out? And then from Kentucky's standpoint, what do you think they have to do to be competitive in this game and potentially pull off the upset? I think it all comes down to that turnover margin question, because on the one hand, you look at the number and you say you're minus nine. They have the worst turnover margin in the country. They have the most turnovers in the country. They have the most fumbles in the country. Even if you, uh, if you factor in the ones they, they recovered themselves and you look at that and you say, there's just no chance they're going to be, you know, good teams if they keep turning the ball over like that. I mean, the defense at some point is probably not going to go out and be able to keep getting these stops after they have short fields. But the other side of that coin is you can look at it and say, well, if they fix the turnover issue, if that's not who they are, if that's an issue that, you know, they can suddenly improve their ball security, those plays have worked for the most part. They're turning the ball over on plays where they were getting long gains or, you know, Will Levis is throwing interceptions on to guys who were open. You know, he just you know missed through it or made a bad decision. The offense is working in such a way that if you fix that, then it's easy to imagine them hanging close with Florida and, you know, LSU next week. I'm not 100% sure they could hang close with Georgia, but they could at least be respectable. And so to me, it's just a matter of if they get that turnover issue fixed, I think they can legitimately win this game. But if they go out and turn it over three times, you know, they might get embarrassed. Absolutely. Well, we were not embarrassed being joined by you, John. You gave us some great perspective as we thought that you would uh, provide for this podcast. It was great to hear from you. I appreciate the time. Encourage everyone that wants to learn more about these Wildcats to go check out John's work. And uh, we're looking forward to Saturday night, man. It should be a fun one. I'm, I'm like you. I think that this one uh, is going to be uh, maybe a fourth quarter game here on Saturday. Sounds good, guys. Thanks for having me.
USA Today's Florida Sports Network covers the Sunshine State better than anyone else. We have reporters and columnists covering Florida, Florida State, and Miami, the Dolphins, Jaguars, and Bucks. Like NASCAR, we've got you covered. We also provide the most comprehensive high school coverage available, and so much more. In fact, we have 17 news sites that encompass the state. Hi, I'm Tim Walters, host of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. Each week, this podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. From Pensacola to Jacksonville, to Palm Beach to Naples, and all points in between, we've got you covered. The State of Florida Sports Podcast can be found wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as on any of our state news sites. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back into the Gators Sports Pod. Zach and Graham here, and appreciate John for joining us in that last segment. Yeah. Really good stuff on Kentucky, and I think uh, looking at this game, looking at this matchup, this is big for them, as he said, kind of their measuring stick to see where they are as a program. Really probably trying to get that taste of last year's loss out of their mouth and, and, and maybe have an effort more like what they saw in 2019 and 2017. And for Florida going into this game, Graham, I think there's a lot of X factors that have to happen. I think starting offensively, you, know, you look at this matchup, this is the nation's number nine total offense in Florida going against the nation's number nine total defense in Kentucky. So two really elite units through the first four games of the season. But the one thing that Kentucky has not done well defensively is defend in the red zone. They are tied for 116th nationally, 12th in the SEC. And uh, they've not been able when opponents get in the red zone to get stops. Now for Florida, that's not anything that they've done a great job at either. They actually rank 80th nationally in red zone conversions as an offense. But I think in this game and in this matchup, that is going to be very key for them because I don't think anything's going to come easy against Kentucky defensively. So Florida, when they do get an opportunity to get inside the 20, they got to score. And this is a unit that they should be able to do it against. So if you get down in there and you're walking away with just a field goal or without anything – that's a win for Kentucky and a win that they shouldn't have in this matchup. Florida's offense should be able to extend drives against this Kentucky defense for as good as they are. We saw them do it against Alabama. And I don't think anyone's making the argument right now that Kentucky and Alabama have equal caliber athletes. And that's no disrespect to the Wildcats, but it's not like Florida is facing more talented athletes coming into this game. If they get out coached, so be it. But there are no excuses after what we've seen so far for this offense to not have success against the defense. But injuries happen. And that's why my X factor is Florida's offensive line. You look at the injuries that they've taken, the hits. They've had guys go down and then later return, but we know that those can stack up as time goes on. Kingsley Egwakon went down twice against Tennessee, even though Dan Mullen 
did say this week that he was fine. What does that mean? That's not really a a guarantee that he's going to be 100% or fully healthy if he is able to play on Saturday. And then you look at Stuart Reese, who was held out of that game against the Volunteers. Now, Mullen said that was precautionary as well. But again, not a given. You would face the possibility of inserting three younger guys on that offensive line, especially if, if Gene DeLance isn't fully healthy as well. We saw him. It was just a bruise, apparently, against Alabama. But like I said, you know how some of those things can linger. Florida's offensive line is a big reason why they've had so much success on the ground game this season. Absolutely. And if you have even one of those guys out or less than 100%, that could absolutely be detrimental to their success on offense. So I'm saying the offensive line is a huge X factor for me on Saturday. Yeah, there was a time, you know, looking in the game on Saturday where you could have, you know, Richie Leonard, Josh Bryan, and Michael Tarquin all out there at the same time. And I think while all those guys have had time in the program and been able to develop, that's going to be a drop-off from what you have starting out there. So that's something to certainly monitor in this game. I think going over to the defensive side and looking at something that Kentucky has not done well, and that's offensively protect the ball. Their turnover margin has not been good. Uh, They rank 129th nationally dead last in the SEC in turnover margin. So going into this game against Florida where they're trying to pull off the upset, they cannot afford to have that trend continue. They cannot fumble the ball, throw interceptions, and they need to find some ways to pick off Emory Jones or maybe make him uncomfortable or catch him slipping in the run game. So for Florida, ball security is going to be at a premium because if you do turn over the ball in a matchup like this, in a sold-out Kroger field, that's all it's going to take for Kentucky to kind of get some momentum and put a drive together. And then on the flip side of that, because they've been so bad offensively with turnovers, if you are able to get some as a defense, if you're Florida, that's going to just suck the life and the air right out of that stadium and, and whatever energy that they've created. And if you can then turn right around and score off that, that's how you keep them out of this game and this this upset from happening. I'm right there with you. The Gators have to find some way to seize momentum away from this Kentucky offense. And that's going to be takeaways, or it's going to be getting them off the field on fourth down, forcing three and outs, finding some way to get this Kentucky offense off their game. I know that Florida fans have made a big deal about Emory Jones's interceptions, but Will Levis comes in with more. So I think certainly it's a possibility that you can make that happen, and the onus for that is going to be on every cornerback not named Kyer Elam on Saturday. That's why I'm going with all of Florida's younger cornerbacks. We said earlier that there's no guarantee that Anthony Richardson plays, but the way that Emory Jones has played the last two weeks, it's not that big of a deal if he's not able to play on Saturday. But Kyer Elam's loss has not really been, I think, assuaged by the play of these younger guys. We talked about losing Jaden Hill. We talked about the arrival of Elijah Blades. Gets hurt in the second half against FAU, just now getting back. Avery Helm kind of thrust into the fire right before he was ready. I thought that they looked good, but then you see Jason Marshall coming in there, them all kind of rotating snaps consistently in the second half. It's going to have to be one of those guys. 
ascending. I don't know whether it's Helm, whether it's a former five-star in Marshall. Or whether, if Elam doesn't go, uh, two of those guys. Uh, yeah, it's going to have to be two of those guys. I mean, you look at some of these other guys in the secondary, Trevez Johnson, and then the younger safeties. I think that you're really going to need someone, one of your cornerbacks, to step up on Saturday and really take away that big play potential and yeah, get some takeaways on just Saturday. Just stabilize the secondary. Yeah. Just be a stabilizing presence. I mean, Elam is probably the most knowledgeable in the secondary. No disservice to Trey Dean because a huge leader for that unit as well. But Elam was the guy that all these younger corners and the graduate transfer in Blades could look to if they didn't know their assignment or had any question. Him not being out there, a road environment, you're going to have to have someone step up on Saturday. Absolutely, and I think for Florida to uh, get this win... A lot's going to have to go right, uh, but I think that they've shown certainly against Alabama and against Tennessee that they can put together the type of performance that they need in SEC play. But this is their first test on the road in conference, so it's prediction time for Graham and I. And uh, I think we both see this game playing out in a very similar way, and our predictions might even be along the same lines. Graham, I'll let you go first. I, I got to believe you copied me. We're talking right before the podcast. Well, what are you going to go? What are you going to do? I went 31-24 earlier in the week. I said it on Monday, right after Mullen's Presser, my first radio slot of the week. Said it again Tuesday. I'm still getting those vibes. Even though Will Levis eats a banana like a madman, I think that he's going to be a test for Florida's defense. And I went 31-24 Gators in a close one. That's my score, too. That's mm. really when I look at this matchup and, and how I see it playing out, I, I see Florida scoring 38 points at home against Tennessee, against a unit that is not as good as Kentucky is defensively. So, I, I mean, if they get that many points in Lexington, I'll, I'll be impressed. And I'm not saying they're not capable again, but that's just kind of my expectation level for them going into this matchup. And I think 31 points will be enough to win it. And I think defensively, again, their young secondary, this could be a bit of a challenge from this quarterback, maybe more than they've seen, certainly since last week, and uh, will be their biggest test since Bryce Young. So I think Kentucky is going to have some success. I think they're going to make it a game, but I feel like Florida will do enough, control the clock, and win the turnover battle, and ultimately win the game. So uh, we'll see how it plays out on Saturday night in Lexington. Graham and I will be back with you guys on Monday with a podcast recapping the game and then get, getting you ready for homecoming against Vanderbilt as this season is uh, rolling along. And the next time the Gators hit the road, it's for that old trip to Death Valley, which uh, is never a cakewalk, right, Graham? Never. Not at all. The drive and the game. But I could use a cakewalk right now because I'm a little hungry for some dessert. Hmm, that sounds good. Let's do it. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, well, we're out of here. We're going to go get some lunch and uh, something probably that we shouldn't eat. But uh, we'll be back with you guys next week to see how Florida-Kentucky plays out for Graham Hall. I'm Zach Albaverde. No.